Hello, and welcome to My Pastor Says, the show that's all about you and your questions about God, the Bible, and life in general. My name is Dave Atherton. I'm the lead pastor at Aviator Church in Derby and Winfield, Kansas, and I'm incredibly grateful that you've given us a little bit of your time today. If you would like to have a question of yours answered on a future episode of the show, please email it to me at dave at aviatorchurch.com. Again, dave at aviatorchurch.com. Uh, and I will be happy to get to it as soon as I possibly can. Today, we're going to be talking about what else? The coronavirus. We're going to be talking uh, about what is God's plan in this. We're going to be talking about where God is during this. And also, we're going to be looking at what our response should be to it. Again, very grateful that you've joined us today, and we will start in just a moment. So for those of you longtime listeners to the show, and of course by long time, I mean that you've listened to, what, the first, I guess, seven episodes that we did last fall, uh, welcome back. Uh, we are officially relaunching the show this week. For those of you who've never heard of this show before, um, you actually have the advantage of being able to go back and watch uh, or listen to, not watch, excuse me, previous episodes. Um, essentially, you can find us anywhere where podcasts are. Just search for My Pastor Says, and we will pull up there. Um, but we're adding a new element, and ultimately we're doing it because of of, of course, coronavirus. Um, in an effort to give you guys something to do, something to watch, something that isn't Tiger King, um, I decided that we would do a video element of this as well and post it on Aviator's YouTube page. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if that's where you're joining us, welcome to a brand new thing that we're trying. Uh, if the recording is bad, you'll have to forgive me. This is my first time ever trying something like this, so I'm doing my very, very best. Um, obviously, I kind of picked a unique spot for this, as you can tell. Behind me is an empty sanctuary. Um, I kind of picked this because it, to me, uh, it epitomizes kind of the season of life that we're in right now. Just as a culture, we, um, you know, we can't be the places we want to be. We've at Aviator had two weeks of church now, um, where we have not been able to actually be together in this room. And um, you know, certainly the church is not limited to being in this room, but there is something about being together as a as people uh, that is just humanizing. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to be separated and to be on your own. So for those of you who are, who are in a shelter in place order and you're all by yourself in your house, I feel for you. Um, for those of you like me who are sheltering in place with a bunch of small children, I also feel for you. Uh, but if we keep doing what we're supposed to be doing, hopefully uh, this will get fixed soon. You know, again, this room makes me sad that it's empty. It also kind of makes me happy because it means that we're doing what we need to do to stop the spread of this disease and to protect people who are around us who, um, you know, are immunocompromised, who are elderly, the people who are at high risk factors for this disease. So um, if you're at home, you're doing what you're supposed to, thank you. Uh, we're proud of you. Keep doing it no matter how hard it gets. And as soon as we can, I promise you, this place will be up and jumping and ready for a party. So like I said, today we're going to deal with what else? Coronavirus, right? We're going to talk about exactly what this is from a biblical standpoint. Usually um, when I've done the show in the past, I try to keep it to about 30 minutes um, or less. And I'll try to keep it a little shorter this time because um, I feel like honestly, to some degree, it's important to talk about it. Um, but if you guys are like me, you're a little coronavirus out, right? You've heard COVID far too many times. I've had several people suggest the baby that we're about to give birth to. I, I'm not about to give birth to a baby. My wife is going to do all of the heavy lifting on that, but I will be around when it happens um, as long as the hospital lets me in. 
but I've had a bunch of people recently suggest that we should name the kid COVID. Um, and I'm like, that's how you know that that word has become all too familiar uh, to our way of life because no, I'm not naming my child after a virus. Uh, so anyways, um, but yeah, we're going to dive right into it. And, and like I said, we'll try to keep it reasonably short. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to put them if you're on YouTube down in the comment section below, or you can always email me any questions. I try to make myself available. By the way, also, I know I shouldn't be touching my face. I'm really actually believe it or not, trying not to. It is so hard. I never realized how much I touched my face until everybody told me not to touch your face. As a matter of fact, you ever thought about this? You ever thought about how much you blink? Well, here you go. Don't blink. Just don't blink anymore. And you'll become widely aware of every single time that you do. It's crazy. So anyways, we're going to dive right in. Um, And like I said, we're going to answer three questions as we do this thing. Um, the first uh, question that I wanted to answer today, um, and I've got this several times, and I posted that we were going to be doing this show again. I got each of these questions multiple times and in multiple ways. But the first question that seemed to show up a lot was with regards to coronavirus, why would God allow this thing? Why would God allow a, a virus that would sweep through and, and kill tens of thousands of people and, and shut down our economy and do all this stuff? Um, you know, why? And this really kind of boils down to the question that, that everybody wants to know about God is why would God allow bad things to happen to people who he loves, who he, whom he loves, right? Um, and so I kind of want to talk a little bit from a, from a bigger level, not just about uh, coronavirus, um, but about kind of all bad things in general, right? Um, so why would God allow this thing to happen? Well, um, I think that we actually see uh, the answer to that in the creation account in Genesis. Um, you know, and, and everybody's familiar with If you come to Aviator, I reference it all the time because so much of who we are as people stems from the origination of, of God's relationship with man. Because ultimately that's the thing. Man was created to have a relationship with God. Man was designed to be in relationship with God. And that's what the Garden of Eden was, right? It was man walking, and when I say man, man and woman, mankind, it was man walking in the garden where God walked, right? Uh, It was designed to be a relationship. But here's the thing, God recognizing um, that if his desire is for there to be a relationship between humanity and the divine, that there has to be a choice allowed, that there has to be the ability for not relationship to be chosen. You know, for those of us who have been married, I want you to think about the idea of what a relationship is all about, right? If, if your relationship consisted of somebody, you know, forcing you into a relationship and then keeping you there at gunpoint, that's not a very loving relationship, right? Like how many women are gonna sign up for that? Like, oh man, I just want a relationship where I feel trapped and, and absolutely have no way out and feel like I'm you know, constantly at the risk of getting hurt if I try to offend the other person. You know what? It, it's not a relationship if you're forced to be into it. And so God designed a relationship with humanity the same way that our marriages work or that our friendships work. Um, it has to be both sides committing to being involved in that relationship. So here's the problem. In Genesis chapter three, um, two chapters after uh, God created man, um, Adam and Eve uh, in the story of the Garden of Eden, which I'm sure you've heard, uh, committed the very first sin. And at that point, the relationship was fractured. It was irreparably fractured from our angle. Um, Once Adam and Eve sinned, everything was changed and was different. There's a verse in Romans 5, um, that talks about essentially it's really a verse about 
Christ is it's a passage about uh, what Christ did to, to bring salvation. But in setting that up, it said, therefore, uh, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, uh, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so what that's saying is the second that Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, the second that one of us sinned, it brought death into the world for all, right? Um, and so we're talking about something like coronavirus. Well, coronavirus is a disease that does what? Well, for a lot of people, it's a disease, it's a disease that just kind of makes you uncomfortable. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, you know, a, a minority for sure, but, but a lot of people have died because of this disease. And so you look at it and you think, well, how come if God loves us, how could he allow death to happen? How could he allow a thing like coronavirus to come in or, or the bubonic plague or, you know, any of these other plagues that have uh, hit mankind over the years? And how could he allow this to happen? Well, it kind of boils back down to the fact that God created man for one purpose, for a relationship, for uh, what would have been a non-dying, uh, uh, a, a not-death-introduced relationship, um, where we would have been in perfect community with God. But when man chose to break that relationship, when man chose to pursue his own will instead of God's will, um, the consequence, you know, Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, right? What you earn with sin is death. And so really, whether we're talking about coronavirus or car accidents or um, cancer or heart disease or old age or whatever, um, any of these things that ends up taking life away from us uh, ultimately is a consequence of the fall. Now, a lot of people will struggle with that idea that there is a consequence to the fact that we sin. If God loved us so much, then how could he possibly enforce these consequences on us? And to that, I would just ask any of you who are a parent to consider that question for one second, right? Like how many of you as parents uh, enforce consequences on your children? I, I can tell you I do. I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Now the one-year-old doesn't get a lot of consequences just yet because he doesn't understand what's going on. But you know, as they grow older, I have higher standards on them. My six-year-old has rules that he's expected to follow. And, and if he breaks those rules, there's going to be consequences. One of the things that my kids love because um, we're doing our best to raise a bunch of little book nerds, right? Um, my kids love to read. And so we let them go to bed with a flashlight um, and the most um, punishing consequence that we can give them is to take away their flashlight. If you do this again, I'm going to take away your flashlight tonight. You're not going to be able to read books when you go to bed. I mean, that is like a death sentence for those kids. And so, um, you know, just recently I had to do that uh, with my six-year-old. I told him in advance, if you keep doing this, if you keep doing this, if you keep doing it, I'm going to take your light away. And man alive, that kid, for whatever reason that day, would not listen to me. And, and he kept pushing the buttons and he kept doing the things. And finally I took the light from him. I remember him uh, like just crying and sobbing and why would you take my light from me? Right. As, as kids are wont to do. Um, and I said, you're the one who chose to disobey. Like I gave you rules and you chose to step outside of those rules and enact your own rules instead. And here's the problem. I'm the authority and therefore there are consequences. You know, it's, it's one of these things where if you asked a parent, you know, what's the most loving thing you can do for your kid, right? If you ask the child, the child would say, what? Let me do anything I want to do and just make me happy all the time. But as parents, we know better. As parents, we know that there have to be rules set in place and that those kids have to follow those rules. It makes them well-rounded adults. It's kind of what our task is as parents is to create little 
you know, monsters who do whatever they want and follow every selfish ambition they have and try to turn them into functional adults in society, right? We have to have consequences. And here's, here's the statement that makes sense as parents, but sometimes I think we struggle with God. Imposing consequences is love. Imposing consequences is love. Have you ever been around a kid who never has any consequences placed on them, who absolutely ignores their parents and and has no accountability to rules? They grow up to be little monsters and nobody wants to be around them, right? In parenting world, we can look at it and say, when I set the rules, if you break the rules, I'm going to provide consequences. And that is just part of being a parent and part of love. And yet we look at God and we say, how could you let a bad thing happen to me? How could you enforce consequences upon me? When we look at this, we say questions like, why would God allow this? We have to remember that, and now again, if you're listening and you're an atheist and you disagree with us, I understand we're coming from a different set of beliefs. What I'm saying as Christians is, if you accept the premise that, that God's word is infallible, like the Bible is, is without error, then it tells you exactly why God would allow things like this, because through one man, uh, through one man's sin, death entered the world, right? And that applies to all men. Uh, it's, it's the theology of Romans. And so when you're wondering why God would allow this, ultimately it boils back to humanity's decision to step outside of God's will, to stop following God's rules, to stop following God's law, and the consequence that comes along with that, which is death, which is death. Um, so that's kind of where we find ourselves today. So question number two is, where is God now? Right? Where is God in this? You know, it's, it's one of those things, one of the other questions that I got several times is, why doesn't God just stop it now? Right? We've already been, consequence has been experienced. We've all, uh, you know, been scared. The economy shut down. All these things are happening. Where is God now? And, and the answer is, he's right there with us. He's right alongside us, just like he always is. Um, the passage I, I pulled up to this is, there's a, a very famous verse in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, and that's the, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face uh, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven uh, and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Um, and that's a very popular verse, but it actually kind of goes, it's, it's a long stretch of scripture where it's actually dealing with the, the dedication of the temple. But I want to read the verse before it uh, so that you guys have a chance to hear that. I'll put it up on the screen as well. But it says, when I shut up the heavens, this is God talking, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain uh, or I command the locust uh, to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, <coughs> excuse me, that pestilence um, actually would translate to essentially an epidemic. When there is disease or famine, when I shut up the heavens for no rain or I command the locusts to devour the crops, when, when, when bad things come amongst my people. And again, we have to remember these idea that, that bad things that lead to death ultimately have their root um, in the violation of God's law found in the Garden of Eden. That when all of this stuff happens, listen to the, the famous verse that everyone loves. And I actually, I sang a song at youth camp when I was in seventh grade. Uh, about the song, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then, excuse me, and I want to make sure I'm actually reading it off the, the camera here. I want to make sure that I get this exactly right. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land, right? That, that where is God in this? Well, 
God's right here. God's right among us. God has never turned his back on us. God has never left us. That's not what God is in the business of doing. But the reality is that we actually need to be turning to him in these times. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, when my, my kid wanted to start learning Bible verses, because again, we're, we're doing our best to raise, you know, uh, book, bookworms and Bible nerds and the whole bit. Um, but I told him the, the best uh, verse to memorize, you know, obviously everyone goes with Jesus wept, but I go with 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continuously, right? Uh, or pray continually, I think as it is uh, in the ESV version. Um, other versions say pray without ceasing or pray and never stop praying. Um, but just always be praying. And this is the thing, the very first thing um, that God calls us to do when a pestilence hits the land, when an epidemic is hit, if you are a Christ follower, if you call yourself a Christian, you serve the one true God, then what you need to be doing first is humbling yourself and praying. You need to be praying for the people who are infected. You need to be praying over your family. You need to be praying over the government and the leaders uh, and all that. Like we need to be soaking this whole thing in prayer. God is consistent in this, right? Um, that, that even in this thing, uh, you know, what we see is, is when locusts devour the plants or when there is no water or when there is a pestilence, um, that it provides an opportunity for people to turn back to God, that it provides an opportunity for people to focus on what's important. You know what's interesting? As far as focusing on what's important, um, I'll tell you this, I'm a Mavericks fan in the NBA. I love uh, watching basketball. Um, and man, with Luca and Porzingis, they have been super fun to watch this year. Um, I actually have the NBA deal where I can watch all of the Mavericks games and I watch them all after the kids go to bed. I love watching the Mavericks. My kids know who Luca and KP are, right? Like we are, we are Mavericks fans in the Atherton house. And, and as a result of this, um, my, my Mavericks are not playing anymore. The NBA season's been suspended. It'll probably be canceled at some point. And, and, there's times where I want to watch. I'm bummed. I think, oh man, I wish I could do this. Oh, I want to watch this thing. But quite frankly, you know what I have now? More time than I ever had before. More time than I ever had before. You see, I was focused on a lot of things. And I think we all do this. I think we get focused on so many places and so many things um, that sometimes when a bad, thing's happen, when, when a bad thing happens, um, we can look at it, we can get all upset about it and all this kind of stuff. But in this reality, what else was going to make me stop watching Mavericks games? What else was going to make me give up on so many things that I do in my day-to-day life uh, that have allowed me more time to focus on things that are more important? You know, I, I think this idea of this, this uh, humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, this talking about seeking God's countenance, seeking God's uh, wisdom in your life, seeking God's direction in your life. And, and man, I think we have all the time in the world to try to do that now, right? People will say, I don't have time to pray and do a quiet time. Congratulations, you do now. I'm not suggesting that that's why God allowed coronavirus. I don't know, right? God's ways are higher than my ways. What I can tell you specifically is this. We have the ability to focus on God right now in a way that we probably haven't had in a long time. And so, you know, to say, where is God in this? He's here. Turn to him. If you're angry, be angry and let him know that. If you're hurting, be hurting and let him know that. If you're sad, depressed, struggling, you can turn to God all the time. Here's the thing. You don't even need a computer. You don't need internet. If the internet goes out, which I'll tell you this, you want to talk about what's going to be the, uh, holy cow, the igniter of just like fights and flames across the streets of America, watch the internet go out now and see, because we have lost our ability to just be us, uh, apart from our technology. I say while recording this with a teleprompter and a microphone, right? Like, 
Sometimes it's nice to put down all the technology. Sometimes it's nice to put away the distractions and to seek his face and to pray. And so I think that's what uh, God is kind of revealing to us, that he is here and we just have to seek after him. So the last question that I wanted to address then is, we've talked about kind of why would God allow this and where is God at during this? Uh, I want to shift gears and look at kind of our response to this. Um, You know, how do we handle this? Um, Now, again, when I'm talking about we, here's the thing. If you're watching this and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, first off, thank you for being here. Um, And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And if you want to challenge me, email me, uh, debate me, whatever. I'm happy to respond. Um, I, I make it a point to do that, honestly, more for people who argue against what I have to say than for people who are in agreement, um, because I want to make sure that I at least give you an opportunity to know what the Christian side of an argument would be. Um, and so anyways, push back on me and all this kind of stuff. But when I'm talking about how we handle this, um, I'm speaking specifically to people who call themselves Christians. The first one we've already talked about, we should be praying. We should be praying, 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 and praying. Um, that's something that we should always be doing. But here at Aviator, we, uh, we have a, a mission, a vision, and a process. Um, and it's, it's all summed up by four words, love God, love others. That comes uh, from Jesus himself when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he said, the greatest commandment, the thing that's most important in all of the Bible uh, is to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in Deuteronomy, it says. Uh, and then he goes on to say, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so we have, We've taken love God, love others, and slammed that into one word, luglo, L-G-L-O, love God and love others. I think that if you're talking about how to handle this in praying and in seeking after God's will, that's um, you seeking to love God. We always do that first. The second thing is, I think that we should love others. I think we should be aggressively looking for ways to love others. Uh, For those of you who were here the week before the shutdown, so our last Sunday here in this room, um, There were a lot less people than usual. We were about down half in our attendance because people were already starting to stay at home. Um, And then the next week we decided to go on the the eight-week break. But um, I I talked and I did a message specifically about coronavirus. And so for those of you who are there or who have listened to that online already, some of this is going to be um, a little bit of a... uh, of a refresher, um, or you will have already heard some of this. But when we talk about how Christians should handle this, I think that it's instructive to go back in history and look at how the church has handled things in the past. And so the first thing that we're going to look at uh, was a disease known as the Cyprian Plague. Um, and I'm sorry, I know it's a little weird. I'm going to divert my eyes a little bit here because I have it on the screen behind me. And I, I want to read to you, um, this is a, a historian of the day, um, wrote down essentially uh, what he saw in the response of the culture to the Cyprian plague. And then again, in the response of the Christians to the Cyprian plague. And, and I just saw this was so powerful and such a good bit of uh, evidence as to how we should be moving forward um, with, with our response to this thing. So this is what uh, this historian said was culture's response to this Cyprian plague. And, and by the way, let me say this, the Cyprian plague was... Uh, it sounded much worse by symptoms and by outcome uh, than the coronavirus is. It talked about there um, being, uh, you know, conjunctival bleeding, um, mass diarrhea, um, organs would shut down, and death was far more likely, it sounds like, than it was here. Now, obviously, it's hard to compare as apples to apples because um, they didn't have the same tracking manners that we do or same tracking methods or capabilities. Um, and they also didn't have the advanced uh, medical treatment that we have today. But um, by all accounts, this was a massive issue where um, at one point in time, it said that in Rome during the height of this uh, 
uh, epidemic or pandemic, um, that as many as 5,000 people per day were dying in Rome. So we're talking about a mass killer plague here. Um, and I want to read to you how uh, this historian um, documented society or culture responding to this. So listen to this. It says, at the first onset of the disease, these people pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, from their families, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating the unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and the contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. So when this disease settled in, culture uh, literally pushed away the infected. They wanted nothing to do with the ill. They threw their own loved ones out in the street before they were dead, um, which we joked about it to, to some degree here at the church when I preached about it, which, which just rings of Monty Python, right? With a bring out your dead, ding, right? Um, and they're like, I'm not dead yet. Uh, but legitimately, they didn't want to catch this disease and they, they, they got very fearful and selfish um, and they became totally introspective and they pushed aside their loved ones. Um, and, and they did all of this to avoid getting infected. And, and at the very end of that thing, it said, do what they might. They found it difficult to escape, that they still couldn't avoid the infection. So literally they were fearful, they were selfish, um, and they, they pushed everyone away and they, they thought only about what they could do to protect themselves. And they got infected and they died. Now compare that to the same historian who wrote about the Christian response, and I'll read it to you. Listen, it says this. Most of our brothers, the Christians, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, with those who were ill when they, when they ministered to them, with them, they departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Do you hear the difference there? Where culture was fearful and selfish and, and did everything they could to protect themselves, the Christians dove right into the mix. They went and they cared for the sick, knowing full well, and they may not have had all of the scientific understanding we do about how germs or disease spreads, but legitimately they went in knowing full well that they were probably going to get sick themselves. And instead of being fearful, they acted in love. Instead of being selfish, they were selfless. And what was the end result, right? We talked about it. The, the people who were trying to get away said they still had a hard time getting away. A lot of them were infected and died. And it said the Christians died too, but did you catch how they died? It said that they died serenely happy. I, I want to read this last one again drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. You know, it's a different mindset that happened here. The Christian response, uh, you know, if, if culture's response was all about me and selfishness, and, and by the way, have we seen that when it comes to toilet paper hoarding or hand sanitizer hoarding? I saw a story about a kid who went out and bought, or a young man who went out and bought like 17,000 uh hand sanitizer bottles, um, and then was trying to price gouge people, right? You want to talk about selfish. We have seen selfishness, but we have also seen these, these things. Now, you're going to see them a lot on the news. You got to look for them. But we've also seen these stories about people who are acting loving and being selfless. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've been drawn to those stories. I've been drawn to watching how people have, have 
you know, medical professionals have worked long and, and, and grueling hours right in the midst of danger and harm's way to make sure that people are cared for. I've watched how people have started making surgical masks and, and doing all these things to support people. And, um, you know, people are going around driving groceries and delivering it to people who are sick or who can't get out because they're immunocompromised. There, is, there are two responses that we can have. And what I will say is this. I think that um, the, the dividing or the delineating factor between the two responses is what governs you. And I think it's hard to say that, you know, for, again, you look at the Cyprian plague, I think culture was governed by fear. It was governed by selfish desires. But as a Christian, we are called to, number one, love God. Number two, love others. And so if we're called to love others, that means even when we're facing some kind of a plague, now, do I think you need to go and be reckless? I don't, but I think you can still love people and serve people in such a way that it reveals to them who Christ is. What's fascinating is during the Cyprian plague, when, like I said, at its peak, 5,000 people a day were dying, the church grew. In, in actual numbers, the church grew. And by all accounts, the church grew. Christianity spread like wildfire because people were able to watch how culture responded and how Christianity responded. And they were able to see that when all the cards are down, when all the chips are on the table, that, that there is one way to respond to this that inspires hope. And that, that I think it inspired people to understand that they must believe in something bigger than this life. And that's really what the mark of Christianity should be, that we believe in something bigger than the fear that we might experience because of coronavirus. It's not that you shouldn't have at least some fear, you shouldn't be cautious or take necessary precautions, but we are not to live in fear. We are to be faithful. And here's the thing, we are to be faithful and bold in the face of danger. We recognize the danger. And we charge into it. We see how we can help. We see how we can love. We see how we can be a blessing. The thing is, and this is, I'll leave on this. The, uh, the last uh, quote that I'm going to read to you guys and I want you guys to be able to see is actually from about 1600 years after the Cyprian plague, which was uh, in, in about the 200 to 250 range. Um, now, it's hard to say exactly because, again, because uh, traveling was so much slower back then, it actually popped up over the globe for about 300 years. But like in the Roman uh, Empire where we have the history from it specifically, it was in about the year between 200 and 250. Um, but anyways, uh, about, what, 1,600 years? No, 1,400, 1,500 years later, uh, Martin Luther um, was alive during the bubonic plague, which was also a horrendous, horrendous disease that killed many. Um, and Martin Luther is one of the, if you've, you know, you've probably heard of Martin Luther King. Martin Luther obviously was the namesake for Martin Luther King, and he's one of the founding church, not founding church fathers, but he's one of the church fathers who came up with a lot of the doctrine that we hold uh, to be true today. And you may know him from hammering the 95 theses to the door, but, but he actually spoke out on the bubonic plague. And he said this, and I want you to hear this as a challenge. If you're listening to this and you call yourself a Christian, and he said, in addressing the bubonic plague, what do Christians do? Here it is. We die at our post. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them into crosses on which we must be prepared to die. I mean, that about says it all, right? 
that, that our duties are not absolved. It's not like we can go off and do whatever we want because times got hard. When times get hard is when Christians should step up and say, I'm going to show my commitment level to this. We die at our post that a Christian doctor can't leave the hospital, a Christian governor can't leave their district, a Christian pastor cannot leave their congregation. At this moment when culture is scared and looking for some hope and looking for something to cling to, we have an opportunity to be the thing that they cling to. We have an opportunity to show them the hope that's found in Christ. And so this is a huge calling, but I think it's important this last week in church, when I say in church, I was in church, you people were home uh, watching on your computer screens. Which, by the way, if you'd like to join us for church, um, we meet on Sundays at aviator.online.church at 10.30 Central Time. Um, and also Wednesdays at 7 o'clock uh, Central Time, um, PM. But anyways, uh, last week at church, I closed with a challenge. And here's the thing. Like, it's the only challenge that matters right now. Um, I challenge at the end that in light of, of all the things that we know and, and in light of how much God is in control, in light of the fact that God knew that the coronavirus was gonna come from the beginning and the fact that, that he has not been surprised by any of this whatsoever, um, I, I, I gave this challenge. I said, in light of that knowledge, go do something eternal. Go do something that has eternal significance. Go and tell somebody who Jesus is. Go and live in such a way that people look at you and they think, I gotta figure out what they're doing. What they're doing seems to be working. Go do an eternal thing. Everybody is focused right now on just the here and now and they're so concerned and they're so focused and watching the news and getting down. And I've seen people posting about being anxious and depressed. Go love them. Go do an eternal, and don't listen. This isn't like, oh, Pastor Dave, he's just given a challenge and now I've heard it and I'm gonna go on with my life completely unchanged. No, go get up, levant and say, por favor, and go do an eternal thing. We have an opportunity to show the world what's different about following Christ. We cannot show them if we do not do things. So that's kind of my take on coronavirus. There you have it. Uh, Next week, I promise, no coronavirus whatsoever. Uh, Whatever questions that you might have about God, the Bible, or life, or how to live as a Christian, or again, if you're an atheist and you think I'm crazy and you want to, you know, send me why you think that I'm nuts on on God's existence, I'd love to talk about that. Whatever uh, number one will help you to grow in your walk, and whatever number two um, will help you pass the time while we're all in this shelter-in-place order together. I love you guys, even those people whom I don't know. Uh, And I'm so grateful that you gave me a little bit of time. And I'll see you again next week on My Pastor Says.